Hello and welcome to Doctor Who 50 Years Ago, the show that looks back to the episode that aired in 1970 and looks at the differences between then and now. This week, episode six of Inferno, which I guess you could describe as a lava Lee episode. No, I am Ben. I'm Luke. And I'm Nick. And here we are, and here we go into the news from 1970. Firstly, on Monday the 8th of June, in election news, the Conservatives continued to attack the government on the state of the economy. Labour and Mr Wilson are to attack marginal seats held by the Conservatives and the Liberals. The election odds are now 1-5 to for Labour, 3-1 to for Conservative. And on Wednesday the 10th of June, a roundup is published in CQ Press, a magazine, I hope, of everything that's been happening so far in the campaign. Luke, tell us more about what it says. So, so far, all of the odds have been in Labour's favour. But it's interesting that this article from the CQ Press seems to really slate Labour's chances. It's talking about how the regulation of trade unions is a really leading issue, but Labour are more closely aligned to the trade unions, so they're seen without favour by the public. It also talks about how immigration is a major issue and how the Conservatives have Enoch Powell on their side, which in fact did end up being a major factor in the Conservative victory. If you had only read this article and hadn't gone through the Times articles as we had, you might get the sense that Labour were really starting on the back foot, whereas so far we've seen in the national press Labour kind of having their chance, but this one saying that the mood of the nation is kind of fighting them, which I think is a really interesting analysis. It also appears to be very on the money for just a week before the election. And just goes to show that if you look at other sources other than the national newspapers, who were 99% getting it wrong, you, you see a different story. Plus, this came out before the World Cup loss, and it came out before the Conservatives published a bunch of figures saying how rubbish the Labour government were. Mm. So, to be this on the money, even... Because as we said at the beginning, the general election narrative we have is that Labour were doing really well and then we lost the World Cup, the Conservatives published their figures, Enoch Powell shouted a lot and then the Conservatives won. This is saying that there's a real difficulty with Labour sort of kind of intrinsically, which I think is an interesting subversion. Also, on Monday the 8th of June, public reaction is said to have had an astonishing transformation, and that's a quote, about the subjects of birth control and family planning. And this is since abortions legalisation in 1968, and according to the Family Planning Association, who run clinics based on these subjects. They are now facing the task of mass training, research and educating of the population about this touchy subject. Yeah, so reading the article that this is from, the, the the transformation has apparently occurred in all countries and it's become accepted is how it's phrased. So this is from the FPA's um, report. We've got to assume that all countries, being the ones that they must have surveyed, would have been Western European countries and, you know, the United States and Canada and whatnot, um, which, yeah, shows that once it's been legalised, once that sort of, the idea of that backstreet abortion of thing is taken away people are 
a lot more accepting of it. I mean, it's never been a popular thing. It's always been a bit of an emotive uh, topic, but yeah, I, people, I usually run... accept it. It is necessary. I mean, and this is when we're starting to see the change away from big families and lots of children to where we are now. Uh, with just like one or two children per family, isn't it really? This is because having children is no longer actually cost effective. You know, mm. you, this isn't like the, the the Victorian era where you want as many children as possible so you can shove them down the mine. <laughs> so to round up, what we're seeing here is a change from de jure recognition of abortion to de facto recognition of abortion and the changes that makes in society around, well, at least the Western civilised world between 50 years ago and now. As we say, touchy subject, difficult to really garble words together about, really, especially as this is an entirely male um, yes. <laughs> panel. Yes. So uh, sorry about that, folks. <clears throat> and finally, on Tuesday, the 9th of June, a national newspaper strike looms. Indeed, we run out of newspapers from Wednesday, which didn't help when we were trying to gather the news from 50 years ago. But intriguingly, the BBC are wondering whether to make a daily programme on breakfast time to compensate for the lack of national newspapers. It's definitely a um, grab <laughs> uh, PR quick scheme, which might be connected to how they wanted to do television in the 70s. Indeed, eventually, laws on broadcasting are relaxed so they can broadcast into the middle of the night, uh, much to the technicians' fury for them having to actually, you know, work and turn the transmitters off at one o'clock in the morning. And then eventually breakfast television finally gets the go-ahead in the mid-80s. So it's interesting they're thinking about it so early into the 1970s. I'm just looking so, through the radio... Uh, Times genome to see if this actually happened. Um, I sincerely doubt it because, well, as well, I say, what was on breakfast time? Did, was did, did, did television did not start till like nine or ten in the morning or something? Is that it? Pretty much, yeah. Nine or ten if you're lucky, but I'm thinking three p.m. Um, what? Nine thirty, yes. you get schools and colleges, mm. and at ten forty-five, you get watch with mother. At 11 o'clock, you have an interval for five minutes, so you can go and get your tea. At this point, Luke goes on and on through the entire schedule for the day on BBC One. This has been cut for reasons of sanity, but the Radio Times Genome Project has it all, if that's your sort of thing. And then at 3am, close down. Yeah, OK, no breakfast. Television TV. wasn't really touched. Yeah. There we are, wow. So we're trying to fill the gap, and then obviously the night time finally goes in, but it's well, again the same so, banal programming until at least three in the afternoon when the kids come home. So so it's just a case of the, the expectation was like everyone would be at their breakfast table with the newspaper, so they wouldn't switch on the TV. <laughs> and yes. That's what it is, is that? <laughs> and I think that's quite enough of news. So what we have discovered there in said part of news is that... There are very, very tiny factors who realise that the Conservatives are about to win in the upcoming UK general election. A change from de jure to de facto realisation that abortion's probably all right. And that television is trying but failing to 
ensconced the entirety of the broadcasting day and changed society with it, but not until the mid-80s. That was the news, and now we shall get into Inferno, episode 6, aired Saturday the 13th of June, 1970. It's a race to save the Doctor and the universe that we know and love from collapsing in the same fate that is befalling the fascist universe. I'd love to say that this is a resounding rejection of extremist tendencies, but considering that the normal Doctor Who universe was going to drill to their deaths anyway, perhaps not. What I do know is that the tension is built up very nicely to the final catastrophe. Even though I was willing the plot to be pacier than it was, it still did what it had to do very well. Yeah, no, this was probably the episode I was looking forward to the most in rewatching this serial. Because the ending of this episode is just legendary. It's so good. And has been commemorated in a not very good pun at the start of this podcast. Lavely. Very true. Yeah, it is lavely. <laughs> that was my idea, not Ben's, so you can blame me. And indeed, we shall. Yes, sorry. Um, what I found so interesting about this one, it relates to something that Ruth Dombey, leader of Sutton Council, wrote in her 15th of May column. She said about coronavirus, if this was a sci-fi film, people would be ripping themselves apart. We wouldn't see the massive volunteer effort and people trying to pull together. And I think it's interesting in this one, the brigade leader is really the only one who's fighting, helping the doctor. You've got... Oh, just to, to say that that's also what Charlie Brooker said on his antiviral wipe. Was it? I haven't watched it yet. What did you say? Uh, he was saying pretty much the same thing about how if coronavirus was in a film, people would be tearing each other limb from limb. And he, he put on a little earnest hat and he like hated it. But he was like being nice for like a second. Hmm. Oh, I see. It, yeah. it's, it's possibly a, a, a point of note because ultimately, yes, you do have to dramatise drama because the only positive thing you're going to get out of this coronavirus crisis is the patriotism of staying at home and so therefore it's only useful as propaganda otherwise it's exceedingly boring yeah look yeah you're right where um it's only the brigade leader that becomes unhinged and doesn't want to help the others all decide they might as well help the doctor but they don't tear each other limb from limb do they exactly the mm. story is about goodness in the face of inevitability and I find it somewhat reassuring that back here, most of the people are actually rather cooperative and nice about it. It is an episode of volcanic proportions, and we shall go into it in greater detail. The Primords attempt to gain access to the Brigade Leader's office, but our remaining humans have a fire extinguisher and use it to escape. Their plan is to fix and reroute the nuclear power, keep the Primords at bay with coolant, and therefore get to the TARDIS, and so the Doctor can leave. The Brigade Leader, Section Leader Shaw and Petra begin to head for the Power Room. Meanwhile, in the other universe, the Brigadier learns of Sakeef's vanishing, and he's terribly irate. Makes Benton drag Starman in to listen to him, and tries to delay the project with no success. Liz continues to hope that the Doctor will turn up, having to keep Sutton at bay and tell him nothing. The bits I've brought up here is Stallman calling Sakeef an old woman 
and basically saying that he's going to win the argument in the end. Yeah, no, there's a few comments a bit uh, in this early section, which are kind of like things you wouldn't hear on television now or a character say, like um, uh, Sutton says the natives are getting restless again. I mean, don't think you'd hear a character you're supposed to be rooting for say something like that. And it's very empirical in a fascist universe. Another thing I was thinking, the doctor says about having a weapon in this scene, and then Liz replies, well, I have the pistol still. And the doctor goes, no, fire extinguishers. And this is a running theme here with Liz and her pistol that we will come back to later on. In the alternate universe power room, Petra begins to work on rewiring the whole power complex, no biggie, with the section leader Shaw and brigade leader as company. And the latter is continuing to bully people as is his want, and he has his own special plans for the Doctor. But even alternate Liz is beginning to take the Michael out of the brigade leader. Sutton and the Doctor head to the TARDIS console to help power it up. As the Earth begins to shake and the Primords slowly amble around the complex, trying to find the remaining humans. But this is a, roughly when we, they go outside for the first time, and you see the world is suddenly all orange. And I just wanted to know: was this as achieved as simply as putting, like, going whoosh, whoosh, filter, an orange filter in front of the camera? I presume so. Yes. Or, or but... on top of it in post or something, you know, like. Uh, an orange filter would have been the easiest way to do it. You had coloured filters around that time, and post-production was a bit more difficult, so most effects were so, done so, in so, camera. So, yeah, so they had a camera, and when they were filming, they just put, like I say, a little filter there. Yeah, and it, and it brings out the washed effect that people can see in black and white as well. Okay. Yeah, so it, I, was just, I was wondering how they did that. And... And the, there's nothing that's particularly special about them putting a filter there, is there? No. But it looks but good. It's a coloured filter, which is something. I mean, it shows that we are actually in the realm of colour here. And none of the other episodes have had colour filters, as far as I can tell. So this is a first for Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you're right, because. There's only been a few instances in this season where they've really taken advantage of having colour, and that this here, having the orange over them all, really does take advantage of the colour. Mm. Uh, well, and also that opening section in each serial, uh, that opening section in each episode with the stock footage of the volcanic eruption, as I said yes. earlier, really helps being colour, as does the final section where it's all. I imagine watching this in black and white, it wouldn't be as good. Well, it's interesting because colour was around in films quite a lot, so everybody knew how to do colour. So it's good that when colour does come to television, in this case Doctor Who at the very least, it gets a bit of a head start because they know all of these tricks and eventually they're able to put them to good use. Mm, colour me interested on that one. Petra keeps encountering faults with the nuclear power reactor. I mean, it's not exactly brain surgery. Giving the Primords the chance to invade, so the humans escape, shooting Primord Starman in the process. The humans wobble their way along unstable ground to the Doctor and Sutton. The brigade leader is not happy with the failure of their escape and has a mild breakdown. 
Sutton croons to the brigade leader and the two eventually have a fight, which gives Petra the chance to slip away back to the power room for one last go at rewiring. Remember I mentioned Liz and the gun, her little pistol? I well, do remember. Comes up again. She's holding the fire extinguisher. She drops the fire extinguisher when Starman comes in and this will connect a little bit later. So just keep that in your heads. So, on another point, it's during the Sutton and Brigade leader fight that I noticed a very interesting piece of symbolism on the Brigade leader's uniform. He has oak leaves on his shoulders. And I find it interesting, in reflection of this presentation of fascism, that oak leaves are a very English symbol, and they also suggest a sort of a primitivism, like a back-in-the-day kind of Englishism that was thought about by this fascistic people. And so I know, I, I know it's not the same ideology, but back to basics? Yes, to an extent. And I'm wondering how much this might connect to Enoch Powell's view of immigration and also Nigel Farage's view of immigration, where we have to have this sort of core English ideal, and that's what we need to be thinking about. And so it's interesting that the pro-English Republic uses that sort of same line of argument if we take this oak leaf as its sort of symbol might suggest. Sutton and Petra manage to avoid this still-alive primal Starman and rewire the power. The Doctor gets ready to take off, but the Brigade Leader holds him at gunpoint. Section Leader Shaw shoots him down. The Doctor continues to draw power, but the drill head explodes, the world cracks open, and everybody dies. That's a nice cliffhanger for you. In fact, so, it's probably the most exemplary cliffhanger of the 1970s, question mark? Well, um, before we get to that, uh, I've been talking about Liz and her pistol and fire extinguishers. So here's where we get the payoff to this. So at the beginning, Liz desperately wants to use like the pistol that's all that's in her mind that's what she thinks of as a weapon she's not creative enough to think of the fire extinguishers as a weapon and then the doctor shows her so then when she's got the fire extinguisher she still is too regimented in her thinking and can't think to use that as a weapon so she drops it and in the end it's Sutton that gets to use it later in the episode because he's more creative or at least he's not so boxed in by the party's you know regimented thinking and here, Liz actually reverts the type and uses the only weapon she knows how, the pistol, to kill the brigade leader. So it shows, even though she's become more sympathetic this episode and has got closer to our Liz, she's still not the same as our Liz. She can't escape that, the brainwashing that the party's put on her in a certain, in a certain sense, you know, she, she can't think past certain ways. She uses the tool for better methods, but yes, I do accept your point that ultimately she's still shooting the gun. She, yeah, she can't think to resolve it more peacefully or in a more novel way. It's back to the pistol. And yeah, she's using it for good purposes by killing the brigade leader, but it is just her using the pistol rather than trying something more novel, more creative. As peaceful as it can get as the world explodes, yeah. Luke? Anything more? Uh, I don't really have anything to add to that. Really. Okay. Um, uh, does anyone have any 
other points? Because I, I, I've got my question. Um, I was gonna. Is it about the cliffhanger? Yes. Well, oh, about the... kind of. It. I've got some stuff about apocalyptic fiction, but I suppose I could skip that. What? Okay, so you might be able to work this into this. So my question that I'm posing to you two is, is this the grimmest, A, Doctor Who episode, and B, uh, cliffhanger up to this point in the show's history? Because everybody's dying. We shoot, I presume we cut to London and where these people are dying in the streets with the ash and whatever. And then the, the lava's coming towards everybody to kill them all. The brigade leader is just being shot dead. Um, everyone's turning into like terrible werewolves or whatever. So like, they're all going to die. Is this the grimmest Doctor Who episode up to this point? Definitely the most visceral, which is basically a synonym for it. Yes. The only one that I can draw to, and that's not even a cliffhanger, is obviously the actual titular Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve, which, of course, I was going to bring that one up because I like it, um, partly because of how blooming grim it is and of the touchy, sensitive nature subject it is of um, religious zealotry. But ultimately, yes, what we've got here is an entire world burning to dust. It's be- I was thinking about the arc where you actually see the Earth die, but that's just sort of a... Oh look, there's a thing on the screen of the earth dying. Ooh. As opposed to seeing people's flesh melt. And yeah, indeed. Um the new Who version of it in the end of the world isn't as bittersweet because ultimately you've got to, you've got to end modern Who on a slightly positive note. Yes, lest, they have lest you traumatise the audience. So, you know, Vincent commits suicide. Don't worry, he Drew a picture for Amy. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know? Well, so think about how would this, how was this received 50 years ago? What, yeah, I mean, we've essentially finished the middle section of this serial. So if we think of it as two separate stories, the middle story has ended where everybody dies. How would this have been received 50 years ago? Ben, are you looking that up? I am, as we speak. Okay, well, Ben, while you look that up, I'll talk a bit about apocalyptic fiction around this time. So, we're 14 years away from the movie Threads, and Threads is one of the most depressing films ever made by a human. Yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's basically exactly what would happen if there was a nuclear winter, and... So it's Granted, very, very... the BBC did it four years ago, and because it was so blooming grim, they never ever showed it except once, and that was after Fred's. Exactly. In 1966, you got the War Game, which was banned by the BBC because it was too grim, and they thought people would kill themselves. And so, apocalyptic fiction around this time has this either hopeful end, or it's rather wacky. Like if you look at Planet of the Apes which I think is probably one of the more famous, lasting ones. You know, you blew it up! Damn you! Damn you all to hell! It's kind of like the shocking twist. It's not miserable about it, 
there was also a film called The Day the Earth Caught Fire, which ends with, did they get blown up? Did they not get blown up? But you hear church bells, which suggests they didn't get blown up. Interestingly, in that particular film, the Earth starts spiralling towards the sun, so they have to detonate nuclear bombs in Siberia in order to get the Earth back into orbit. That's a stupid film. My point is, is that it's interesting that they managed to get away with this amount of misery in a family show, and it shows how Doctor Who is moving further into that more adult zone just before we get the unit family and it, uh, mm. that happens. So halfway through the serial, the program review board um, says, well, the head of the program review board says that he feels that Doctor Who has gotten more grown up and the Doctor is too real, forcing the production office to defend their casting of John Pertwee. But then the recently appointed head of serials at the end of the serial says, well done, you held an audience. So obviously it didn't deter the, the regular audience from going away and it was a warm summer. And so ultimately what we can see here is this is a sci-fi show grounded in realism, as we can see in Doctor Who both 50 years ago and sometimes nowadays. Thank you very much for watching. You can find us on Blogspot, which redirects to iTunes. Leave positive comments there. It really helps. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube, where you can like, comment and subscribe. We shall be back next week with the final episode of Inferno, the final episode of Season 7 of Doctor Who, where, unlike in our universe, the day might still be saved. Until then, I've been Ben. I've been Luke. And I've been Nick. Thank you. And goodbye.